0: Welcome back to Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. I'm personal financial planner, columnist, and financial therapist, Rick Kaler. Research tells us that 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally, not logically. For nearly four decades, I've been helping people make better money decisions. So what makes my financial worldview different from most financial experts? I blend the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Good money decisions are not just about the money. So let's get started with today's episode. Welcome back to another episode. I'd like to talk about giving money to kids and specifically giving money to kids at death. There's a lot to be said on this topic. I once um, talked with a psychologist, who said he hadn't found a way yet to give money in a healthy manner to kids at death. Uh, Certainly there's a a lot of problems around it. One of the famous uh, billionaires, uh, Warren Buffett, has said he will limit what he gives his kids, and I think it's uh, five million each, and then he's giving the rest of it away. Could be, wrong on that exact number i think it's changed over the years with inflation (laughs) but nevertheless let's just say he's giving only a very small portion of his net worth to his kids and that's, that's the issue for him is how do i give money in a healthy manner so i want to talk about that and i want to talk about it with a little bit different focus and that is whether it makes sense to leave an inheritance with strings attached. Okay, so one of our money scripts in society is that if you're a good parent, you'll leave everything to your kids and you'll leave it to them equally. But what happens in cases where you want to control the manner in which it's given? Right, so you can give money to an heir just outright, and that's typically what I see done, where the uh, the child gets the money and the child can do anything with that money they want. But sometimes a parent it wants their legacy to be used in a certain manner, and so they will put limitations or strings on how the money is to be used and the the, uh, examples are almost limitless there's some folks that will leave money in a uh, where they'll they'll perhaps they'll match the amount of money that goes to the child with the amount of money that they come up so with so maybe it could be on an income. If you earn 40000 then uh, my estate will give you another 40000 annually. It could be done in a similar fashion for education or just restricted to education or restricted to buying a house. I mean, there's all sorts of ways that you can have strings to a gift. And it, this is not to say that strings are bad they are not bad, but they can have unintended consequences. It's often, strings are often referred to as controlling beyond the grave. So uh, let's, let's just look at this because a person can have several different views on leaving money. I think the most popular view is, well, when I'm dead, I won't really care, and I can't really control everything after that. And it is up to my child in this case to use it responsibly, and if uh, they don't, well, then they don't. So that, that's definitely a valid approach. What could be behind that? There could be a a lot of maturity behind that, of uh, saying, you know, I just gotta let go control. I um, can't really, really control it, there's too many unforeseen things. This would be especially true in the case if the parent trusts the child, of course, which is often the case, that I trust their ability to do what's right, Uh, There may be one child that invests it, there may be another child that uses it to pay down their mortgage or buy a house, or another one that uh, takes a trip around the world. I want them to use it in the manner that they want to, uh, to use it. So, as with any decision, the question is, am I really clean in that decision? Does that feel like I am settling or giving into some emotions that this would be too hard? Or, you know, is there a sense of a little bit of victim? Well, I can't do anything about it. So I'm just going to throw my hands up and just give that to them when there's a deeper gnawing fear around that. So like with anything, it can be complex because some folks may really have some values <laughs> around how they want to give their money and I'm not suggesting that if somebody just gives outright gift to a child that they have no values I'm not saying that but the uh, parent may have some specific values that they want To uh, see accomplished with the with the gift, so as I said earlier, they may really value education. They may want to give a helping hand to a child in buying a home, or they may want to help assure the child's retirement and. If it isn't used in this way or the child doesn't want to use it that way then sometimes there is a provision for it to go toward another purpose that the giver wants to support. And in many cases these limitations, these strings, are done in what the giver really feels, really believes, is in the best interest of the child so along that lines what happens when you have a child who is a chronic overspender who just always needs money is always asking for money who is almost the typical American that would have to borrow or Sell something to come up with a thousand dollars. And that doesn't mean that person is, is a chronic overspender. But what do you do with the child that can't handle money? Well, I've seen a number of surveys and research that suggest most lump sum inheritance disappear within a few years of being inherited by an overspender. And there's a lot of examples where an inheritance has uh, hurt the child, has not really been a help to the child, where the child really is in worse shape after receiving the inheritance, both uh, emotionally and financially. So this is kind of a big deal to really consider and to really feel into this. So how do you do this? You know, most parents don't want to disinherit a child. In other words, you could say, I don't want to leave anything to my child. That usually brings up some really difficult emotions. A lot of guilt. It's not something that's done a lot. Oftentimes, disinheriting a child has underpinnings of anger and hurt. I would say hurt around that. So it's often not a really clean uh, course of action. And also, with a child that's disinherited, in my experience, most of the children don't know they're being disinherited and won't find out until the, the last parent dies, which I think underscores a little bit of the vengeance that could be with that decision, with the anger and the hurt. It's kind of like the final punishment. So that's probably not a real emotionally healthy way. Is it understandable? Of course it's understandable. Is it logical? Of course it's logical, remember, Every financial behavior makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying belief system. And there's without doubt a part of a person that would do that, that is deeply hurt, that is responding in this manner because it's it's, it's really in the best interest of the giver. To not continue to experience the hurt or the fear or the anxiety of giving to the child and seeing them perhaps waste the money that uh, this person has worked so hard to accomplish. So there, there's a real sense of fear by a part of themselves to see the money or assume that the money is going to be basically wasted. So what what can a person do? What can a person do that says, yes, I am very fearful that my child is going to waste this. Uh, That's the history of this child. And yet I don't want to cut them out of the wheel. I don't want to respond in anger and uh, hurt. How can this be done in a way that I can live with, that matches my values, and can be helpful to the child. So the typical way we see this done in in estate planning is to leave money to something called a spendthrift trust. And this is a trust that the inheritance is placed into. The Beneficiary of the trust, meaning the uh, person that's benefiting from the trust, which is the child, the spendthrift child, doesn't have any control over the money. The control of the money, the control of the trust is vested in someone called the trustee. And the trust itself is a written document that basically tells the trustee how this person can administer the trust. So uh, the rules, so to speak, of the trust are in there. And there's no form for a trust. It's uh, completely... (laughs) it's It's not true or false or multiple choice questions. It's an essay question, right? And this can be overwhelming. This can be overwhelming to all different parts of ourselves of it's unlimited what you can do, right? So oftentimes when considering going down this path, a person would be very wise in hiring an attorney or a financial planner or somebody that understands this that can Listen to what you're trying to accomplish and then pull the right arrows out of their quiver to do that. So uh, I once had a um, client, I've had several clients that have had this concern. And it's not unusual that they'll have several children. And it's not unusual that one of the kids is a spendthrift. So what do you do? Do you put money into a spendthrift trust for all three, just for the spendthrift? Well, nobody decide what is best. That is your call. Uh, Typically it's put into a trust for the spendthrift. And again, there's a trustee that will determine how the money is released based on the, the instructions. And so for example, And oftentimes, there's a further concern here that makes using one of these trusts a potential solution, and that is if there's grandchildren. And it's somewhat common for a person to want to have some money trickle down to the grandkids. And of course, this can be done giving it outright to the grandkids. It can be done putting it into a trust that kids can access and then anything left can go to the grandkids and and by the way you can put it in a trust where the the child is the trustee and can have huge amount of access to it, could could spend everything. So in this case we're talking about putting in a trust where the beneficiary, the child, cannot have any say over how the money is spent. we know that a withdrawal rate of three percent is probably sustainable for 20 or 30 years maybe longer so if a person sets up a trust and says three percent of it can go to my spendthrift child the year and here's how it's to be invested and it can be invested in a way that you know historically it wouldn't be hard to have a diversified portfolio where it would earn 5%, and so 2% stays in the trust to help it keep up with inflation. High probability there's gonna be something left for the grandkids. Now, I know I have gotten very, very technical. You might be thinking, wait a minute, Rick, this podcast is financial therapy. (laughs) It's not just about the money. But that doesn't mean it isn't about the money, right? Financial therapy is so broad because you've got the financial part, the exterior, and you've got the therapy part, the interior, and both are equally important. So it's kind of hard to get into this and then looking at all the emotions of doing this without understanding some of the technical aspects of it. So... Oftentimes, when I explain this to a parent, they like it. They're like, wow, that solves my problems. I feel so much less anxiety because I'm going to be providing for my spendthrift child. Now they can blow the monthly amount, right? Of course they can, and of course they probably will. But it's there. It's there to support them, and a high probability, that income is going to be there. There's also, you could argue there's a probability, if the child wasn't spendthrift, that this is possibly what they do anyway. I mean, this is kind of a, a sound money decision to say, I'm going to invest this and then just use a percent of it to support my lifestyle in a manner that the, the principal will be intact for my lifetime. So it can really be a a win-win. There's one big problem with this. Well, there's probably several problems. One problem is, again, if this is the surprise to the child upon death, while they haven't been written out of the will, if they see their siblings getting the full amount, which they probably will know, it's, just, it just depends on how the wills and the trusts are all written, but they're probably going to know. Uh, they can feel, uh, well, they can have some really difficult emotions around that. Hurt and anger and betrayal and and a bunch of things. So they're probably not going to be happy about that. Uh, and, and that is that they can't get to the money. They can't go buy a house. They can't take a trip around the world. They're limited to 3% a year. So like with just about everything that we've talked about uh, on this podcast, the uh, probably the more desirable outcome would be to have this conversation with the child before you die and let them know, here's what I have done. Here's the intention. My intentions here are good. They are not to punish you. They are to empower you, they are to help you, they are to protect you, they are to uh, assure that this money is here to support you for the rest of your life. They are here to assure that my grandchildren have something from me. So, that may or may not be received. Well, probably there's a higher chance that it will be doesn't mean there won't be some difficult emotions initially but it's really possible that the the child will embrace that actually so I would really recommend having that discussion and this is where having that discussion in front of a therapist or in front of a financial therapist may be really helpful so that they can guide that difficult conversation and Take away the secret, and this also might help sibling issues, where um, the the spendthrift child could be upset and jealous and angry at a sibling that got the full inheritance. Now, the downside of this, as I was getting into, is that they're expensive to set up. I don't think you could do one of these trusts for less than five thousand dollars a year, and it probably goes up from there. Uh, My rule of thumb is that the cost should never exceed 1% of the capital. So you can see in this case paying a fee of $5,000 only makes sense if you have a trust of $500,000 or more. A lot of folks don't have that much. What do you do if you only have (laughs) $100,000 but you still have a spendthrift heir? Recently I thought of a a way to do this. In the past, I've just said, yeah, I I can't think of anything. But there's something called a Single Premium Immediate Annuity, SPIA, that you can pay into, and then there it's like Social Security. You pay in 100,000, and if your heir is 65 years old, I think in this case it's 120, if you pay in 120,000 they'll get an income of $8,000 for life. Now, one problem is when they die, the money's gone. So it's not gonna go to grandkids. So maybe you would want to actually leave some outright to the grandkids, and then this sum into the single premium immediate annuity. And like with a lot of insurance products, there's a lot of options, so you can get these where they do pay out cash uh, upon death. There's just a lot of different things to look look at. But the point is, I want you to know that there is an option when we're talking about smaller um, sums of money that makes a lot of sense. These, if you've listened to me or read, or certainly read my columns much, you'll know that I'm not a great fan of annuities. Uh, This is one case where an annuity makes a lot of sense, but it's called an immediate annuity. And typically there's not high commissions with this type of annuity. So I just want to throw that out as a possible option. If you've been dealing with and angsting and uh, having some difficult emotions around this particular issue, there is something that can work for small amounts of money that will help basically pay out the money in a a way that it's going to be there for your child's life. So, like I said, this is a little bit more technical than a lot of my financial therapy podcasts. I hope that this has been helpful to you in adding in a little bit of the, what could be a financial win-win uh, which what could help with the difficult emotions and provide an, an answer to uh, how to leave money in a healthy way to your child that maybe you did not know before. So, as always, if you have uh, questions or comments uh, please drop me an email at uh, rick at rickkaylor dot com and uh, I love hearing from you because I'm always looking for uh, podcast fodder. I'd like to know what's on your mind. I'd like to know uh, what you'd like to hear more of. So again, thank you. Thanks for being a listener. And I look forward to talking uh, with you next time. Thanks for joining me, Rick Kaler, for another episode of Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. This is where I combine the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Remember, every financial behavior, whether it appears illogical to you or others, makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying beliefs, feelings, and thoughts. Sign up for my weekly blog at financialawakenings.com. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode.